And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Happy New Year, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really grateful that you've tuned into the show today and hope you can stay with us for the rest of the show. We're on for the next hour here, taking your calls, comments, and questions. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. And I'll give you the numbers for that in just a moment in case you don't know them. Uh, you can reach us here, and we take comments and questions on anything spiritual. doesn't have to be about the Bible per se, but we will let you know in the beginning. Our presupposition is that we believe the Bible is God's Word, and so therefore we're going to point that our answers in that direction to you. And we hope that you'll look up the scriptures that we give and, and answer and so forth. It's it's okay to disagree on this show. We, in fact, would invite calls from people who are unbelievers or those who uh, who are dispute the things we say. And we promise it's not just a setup, and we're not going to argue with you about things. We're going to have a discussion, and we'll give you the last word. So feel free to call us. We'd like to talk with you. If you can, not everybody can, but if you can, stay on the line, and we'll go back and forth, have a conversation about whatever issue you want to bring up. The re- to reach us here on We Are Just Christians, 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. That's the number, and you can reach us here um, by calling that. Ray there at the station will put you through to us who are doing this show over Skype. There may be a second or two delay there, so we'll try to not step on each other too bad. I can assure you that if we do, it isn't on purpose trying to cut you off. It's just uh, technology delays. But 772-340-1590. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders of the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And Gary Jones is the other elder. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing well this morning, Mike. A little little trouble getting here this morning, but everything <laughs> got worked out. Gary Gary figured it all out. We, uh, we, we're here to to talk with you this morning and talk about spiritual things here on WPSL. And I mentioned our names because we have two text numbers. You can also reach us by text message uh, either this morning during the show, or you can reach us. um, You can reach us anytime during the week. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. We can reach us anytime, but uh, especially during the show. My text number is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is my number. And Gary's number is similar, 772-260-6220 is, here, is his number. And so, uh, as I said, we'd be glad to talk with you about any kind of a uh, question that you have. And uh, we'd be glad to discuss whatever is on your mind. Um Gary, you said you had a couple things. Yeah, I just one short thing. You know, it's New Year's, and Mike, maybe you could remember in the past, everybody used to have these New Year's revo- resolutions, as we called them. Yeah, things. I gave up on those many years. That was my resolution one year. No more resolutions. There's no anyway, more, no more resolutions. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I haven't seen much of that uh, on television or in the media, but I've seen a lot of it in the cartoons, and I kind of follow some of the comic strips. And uh, Gary's a real intellectual, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's who follow. That's who it gets humor. Anyway, I wasn't. Yeah, it's completely teasing on that. But go ahead. uh, But basically, I didn't see much on that except in the comic strips who were making fun of it. And, uh, you know, you know, used to we would say, okay, I'm going to do these things. And then for the most part, we never did. And I was pretty bad about that, too. It was not just great. But. I began to think about what does God say about what we say and what we do. And so I'm going to give you about three or four scriptures that I'd like for you to kind of mark down and read. One of them is Numbers 30 and 31, where Moses is talking to the heads of the tribes of the children of Israel and saying, this is what the Lord's telling you to command you to do. And in verse 2, he says, if a man makes a vow to the Lord and swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do all. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth, which I thought was interesting. And in Numbers 32, now that's in, okay, like I'm promising to do this. In Numbers 32 and 24, it takes a little general, more 
application. He says, build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. So in your everyday life, he's, he's implying you need to do what proceeds out of your mouth. Psalm 15, verse 4, he's talking about people who may dwell with the Lord. And he says in verse 4, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. But the one probably most important, I think, Mike, in thinking about doing the things that we say we will do or keeping our word in respect to a resolution or maybe even whatever we, whatever we commit to others to do is in Matthew 12. And beginning in verse 35, Jesus speaks and he says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I think that's something to think about. Yes, it is. And and that's often mis. Uh, misunderstood. Now, I, I don't think this is your point, but it's. I don't. I don't think it's. You know. I think you can make different kinds of resolutions. That's not the same as perhaps making a vow and say, oh, well, well, I think I'm going to try to lose weight this year and so forth. And then you don't lose weight. I don't think that makes you a liar. Depending depending on the resolution that you make, if right? You, yeah. Depends on what you say about it. Exactly. But to say I'm going to improve in this this year, and here's what I'm going to do about that to yourself, and make an effort to do that is is uh, is a good thing. I don't think altogether a bad thing. It, I just think some Christians would do well to uh, make better resolutions than just lose weight or you know get more body mass or whatever it might be. Uh, we we can we can have those. Those are fine, but maybe we should make some better resolutions about changing our character. In fact, I'm going to preach a sermon this morning, Gary. You didn't know this on how to start over, which is what a lot of us need to do, Christian or not Christian. We need, sometimes we just need to start over uh, and make a resolution to be different than we are and better than we are according to the will of God. And we need to stop. We need to get the whole the whole point of Christianity is being a new creature. And yeah. What, and what does that mean? You know, and certainly one of the major points of this that maybe I didn't say explicitly was in our everyday life, like he says back in numbers 34, 32, 24, you know, he says, build your cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep. That that's everyday life, right? Do that's what exactly proceeds right. out of your mouth. So what you tell others you're going to do, uh, you need to do, um, uh, Jesus makes an even broader application of that in Matthew 12, 36. He says, but I say to you that for every idle word that men speak, they will give account in the day of judgment. He's saying every thoughtless word that you speak or did put your thought into, you need to care for. Right, and that's what the word idle there means. It means uh, that you're you're not, it's the word for lazy. So you're, you're not c- considering... Your words just coming out easy. You're not taking thought to them. There's no effort in what you say. And then you end up regretting it or lying or fabricating the truth or you never get anywhere. And so you're this is I've spoken for years. This, this is a frightening verse. This is it really is. I've spoken for years on the importance of speech, our speech. And I think it's still oh, it's completely neglected by people, Christians and not. We, we use the Lord's name in vain all the time. We bring him into everything in, in a vain way. We, we say things that are, that are idle. We use corrupt speech. We use damaging speech about others. Our speech is not intended to build up anything or really resolve a problem. It's just intended to, uh, what is it today, to vent, to get a load off. We, yeah. you know, we, we have all these modern ideas that somehow it's better just to let it rip and say whatever you want. No, you'll feel better when you get done, and you don't. And if you, even if you feel better for a moment, you've just did a lot of damage around you that you have to undo, or if you will, if you can. Words cannot be taken back. You know, you yeah. can say, and and I know this very personally, that words can't be taken back. You can say, you can apologize, and you may mean that, but the damage is done. It's kind of like a, a common, with that. yeah. It's kind of like a common saying that you can't unring that bell. Yes, that's what I was trying to think of, Gary. Thank you, because I was trying to think of that saying. That's you, what it, you I can't unring that bell, and you can't do it with words either. And so, 
And words make us are unique to human beings. Um, They keep trying to say that animals have a language like us. Well, there's there's communication, I mean, between animals of different kinds, even even honeybees communicate. But that isn't the same as the kind of speech that we humans can have on a spiritual level about important, important things to us eternal things that humans that all humans talk about even non-religious humans spend a lot of their time talking about heavenly things they just don't realize it or call it that and so we are uniquely human by our speech the passage that uh, i'm probably getting you off track here gary but i go to ephesians 4 29 one of the one of the phrases there in ephesians 4 is uh, do not grieve the holy spirit uh, let me pull it in its whole context here, and uh, because I think it's probably my experience, probably very misunderstood, taken to be uh, something that it's not. But um, so let no corrupt word proceed yes, out of your mouth. Verse twenty-nine. Yes. Let but, no. Oh, but go what ahead, is good ready. for what is good for necessary edification, that it may be impart that it may impart grace to your hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he says the corrupt speech should, should not, that word corrupt means speech that is degraded. Instead of being in its fullness and healthy form, it's a corrupted, rotten form, like leaving meat out too long, or rotten vegetables. So they once were, they could be good, they once were good and healthy, now they're corrupt. And that's the, that's the problem with American speech and all the foulness. People just don't seem to be able to talk without using the F word or some reference to the people's backsides everywhere they go, you know. And so he says, this should not be proceeding out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or building up what should come out? Even if what I have to say is a criticism of someone or a negative thing or an objection to something, this isn't to say that Christians can't say anything that might be considered as negative, but it doesn't have to be corrupt, and it has to have the intention of edification, which is a big way of saying to build up the other person or to fix a problem and to to build up uh, uh, the other person in a positive way. Isn't that the word we get education from or something it's, like It's similar, yes, because the ED part, edification, means to build. Yeah. We build edifices, yeah. you know, and that's the, to build up. And so education is probably – it probably is the same root. I hadn't thought about that. It probably is the same root. I have to look it up in Latin. But he says also that it may give, impart grace to the hearers. Grace is, is a goodness to someone. So even when I say something strong to someone else, critical, I, am try, I should be trying in a very overt way to impart goodness to them by what I say. And then he adds, this is the entry to part to me here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I don't think, I don't think this is a separate admonition. It is an, a reference to the fact that within God, uh, the nature of the, the nature of Godhood, as it were, there is the Holy Spirit, who is the communicator. The main job of the Holy Spirit is not as something to perform miracles or to uh, let you speak in tongues. The main, even the tongue speaking goes to what I'm talking about. Right. It is God's way. It's the communication of God. The Holy Spirit is the revealer. That's His main job, as pictured in the Scriptures. Main main way that's the main way we relate to god's spirit the holy spirit is through communication and when you take this gift as i mentioned has been given to man and not to animals or other creatures when you take that gift and use it for your own selfish corrupted uh, purposes and turn it into something more demonic as james refers to it then you are grieving god's spirit because he gave it to you to do good with in your mouth, your mouth, and you turn it away. And when you use this to make vain boasts and promises to yourself or others, and say say a lot of puff, a lot of puffed up things. Well, I just you think, grieve God, and here's what you're getting at: yeah, you grieve God's spirit. When you yeah, and, and just think of the th- how many times the Scripture condemns lying. Oh yes, that if people wonder. Well, I've asked people, so what's the most common sin? And they always think of like sexual immorality. That isn't even close. Lying is the is it, great is, is the most common sin, and, and and we we often do it sometimes without even thinking. We embellish things or do things. Now, 
maybe exact maybe there's a difference between exaggeration and lying there is but motive, motive has a lot to do, do with it. it yeah but uh, basically that's one of the things words have power and and I'm going to go back to a passage that you quote quite often that I think is important and the reason because when we read the scriptures what are we reading we're reading words Paul talks about in that Ephesian letter chapter 3 he says how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ how important those words are yeah they are super well we have and a phone well, call. Okay, that's, up what okay I didn't intend to take no, that long, okay. but I, I just wanted to bring that up. If, if you're still involved in making a resolution or trying to improve yourself, the Bible tells me that's one good place to it start. Is. And I would say people can make a, should make a resolution about how they use their t- mouth in a more specific way, mm-hmm. even in the broad sense of what are you what are you saying when you make a resolution. Yeah. All right, well, we have a phone call. Are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Uh, Happy New Year. I was just wondering about, uh, my dad went into the army, uh, in 45. And if you were, uh, uh, going to regular army, they could get you out in 18 months. And he went in in April of 45. And, uh, he was discharged in the last day of 46. Uh, but he was determined, uh, to read the book, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And uh, all I know is it's a big, thick book. And uh, I just wonder uh, if you could, uh, you know, tell us about that book and did it have a lot of religious kind of quotient to it, a lot of religious meaning. Uh, and uh, and so he was, he made it out out of there uh, in 18 months. If you were calling a regular army, if you want. No, I didn't know that at that time. Okay. Yeah. They call it a uh, regular army. And so my, my question this morning is about the uh, the book, The Iliad and Odyssey, if you could, you know, briefly introduce us to that. And I'd like to let my off, oh, Mike, if that's okay. Yes, it is. You know, I, um, I took... Um, I've never I took read, eight I, I've read I've, about those books, Mike, but I have never read them, okay? <laughs> I've read a lot of it. I, I unfortunately, and some would consider unfortunately... I I took eight years of Latin in um, in junior high and high school. My school, you could start taking Latin in the seventh grade, and so I took um, I took uh, Latin for six years. Now I, I eventually was preparing to be an attorney, so I thought Latin would help me. What it helps me is helps me has helped me more is understanding words and under. I can hear a word and usually tell you in a in the ballpark, hand grenade close, what it means, because so much of our language and all of our pre prefixes and suffixes and everything else is based on Latin, and so we had to translate portions of this book from Latin into. Uh, into but neither English. one of them were originally written in Latin. No, they, they weren't. But there were Latin, common no, Latin think. versions of them. And in school, we did discuss, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey and all this kind of stuff uh, in, in, at different times. And so they're Greek poems. They were written um, – hang on. My, my computer's not bringing, up, bringing this up for some reason. But they were I'm, Greek, I'm having that written by Homer. Yeah, I don't know if our Internet connection is as good as it needs to be. I hope, yeah, we, hope we're not off the air or something like that this morning but and don't realize it but in any event um they were they're written in greek between between the testaments is my understanding of of when they when they were written hang on a minute here i am having a lot of trouble i am too all of a sudden so part pardon me uh listeners for this but for some reason but they are basically greek tales of of a of a hero of sorts that sailed around the world and had adventures and and did many things, and but they contained, I believe, and I, I have to rely, Mike, on what I've read about them, not what I've read of them. They contained moral lessons within them, I believe, that the Greeks uh, valued. Is what they did. Yeah, it's it's, it's a huge. Po- it's just a poem. The Iliad is one poem, which means uh, 
you know, a poem about Ilias, which is a Greek city, or Ilium, which is a Greek city. And then the Odyssey represents the journey of Odysseus as he took. And the book is about fate. The books are about fate. Are we who we are and uh, by, as it were, nature or nurture, the old debate? It's got a lot of that in it. And also, uh, to what extent are we controlled by fate? Do we have any kind of choice in the matter? And so as Homer goes through this whole quest he's on, and this has formed the basis of hu a huge percentage of English literature and other literature in the world since that time, this quest where some people are seeking something. And so most movies and books are about seeking something in the process of going through that and finding how difficult that is and you're and you're. Your, the goal of your journey changes as you go, and your journey changes you as you go on this quest. You know, this is the basis of so much literature, because it's a human thing. And it, that's why it's considered great literature, even though the woke, the wokesters are trying to eliminate the Iliad and the Odyssey from being read because they're, they're written by de a dead white man, you know. So you got to get rid of those books. But this is just basic human Human and, uh, beings, whether whatever color you are, that's what it's about. And they, if I, my understanding was correct, they're kind of shaded toward conservatism in their approach to life. Well, perhaps because of the difficulties. Not, not that, like we would consider conservatives, but no. but they were there was a right and a wrong. Oh yes, yes. And, and, and and what what you find is the question, and it's somewhat unresolved from what I remember in reading about this many years ago, uh, that was Odysseus. Uh, controlled by the fates or which were gods who were behind the gods. Even the gods were controlled by the fates to some degree. Were they, was he controlled by his fate or did he have control of his destiny? And you see the twist and turns in the plot and you see that those, those two things are interwoven together. Now, if you want to read a real scholarly, watch a real scholarly movie about this, you can get, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? A real scholarly <laughs> work based by the Cohen brothers, based on the Odyssey, <laughs> and and that's really what the it's really the same thing. It's a journey, a quest, and the twists and turns that are taken in this quest that ends you, puts you right back where you started, and that's what happens to uh, Odysseus. He ends up right back where he started, and yet everything has changed. He's changed. Everything around him's changed. Now. In essence, there is a lot in the Bible about this. This is a this it, because this is a human story. The Bible does address this. It it's it's not a they're not Bible books. They're written from a Greek pagan standpoint. Right. These poems are. Now we were trying to translate them from one language to another in high school, and it was a great enterprise, more of an exercise in learning and so forth. I it was interested in the story, and he meets all these different. Uh, creatures and people and the sirens who try to call him aside and the cyclops, you know, and all these things. It's a classic tale. But the question is, is he really in control of it or not? You know, that's the thing about I, I, I don't remember the exact story, but you can look it up. I'm, I'm in the ballpark here about the story of Oedipus, uh, the king. He, he was destined by the prophets to... As it were, the question is, was he destined to marry his mother? And so he was thrown out into the wilderness. So he, so this couldn't happen, you see. Or I, excuse me, he was destined to kill his father, I think is what it was. Yeah. Well, he was thrown out into the wilderness, so this wouldn't happen. But the whole story revolves around how he came back and actually did kill his father without realizing he was his father. So are we, con are we controlled by something beyond us that determines things? Now, human, modern humans, we have developed this little psychological framework and somewhat scientific that we're controlled by our DNA. We're off. I still haven't got the Internet back. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. We're on the air, I hear, but I don't think we're – you and I here at this point are not somehow able to get to it for some reason. Yeah. But I can't seem to pull up anything. So we're going to – that. but are we controlled by our DNA or do we have any choice? And even before DNA was discovered, the debate was, 
Is it nature or nurture that makes us what we are? And depending on your even political bent, it's you think it's one or the other. You know, you'll you'll lean more toward one than the other. Evolutionists have to lean toward uh, nature, and, and the modern modern quote unquote scientists lean toward the DNA thing. They were all it's all predetermined, and they try to find a gene that controls everything. Uh, even being a, um, I started to use an old word, transvestite. Uh, what's the, I don't know what the new, I forgot the new word, Gary. I, yeah. uh, um, what, what, it's, I, it's, I, I can't transgender. think of it. Transgender. Okay. Yeah, whatever it is. But Gender fluid call, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that, even that is controlled. By, they're trying to find that gene, which, of course, doesn't exist. Because human behavior is generally a combination of, yes, you're not a blank slate. I remember hearing when I was a young boy that, Babies were blank slates, young 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 person. That the psychologists thought that babies were blank slates, and parents and society wrote on those blank slates to make them what they were. This really appealed to progressives, because progressives could say, "Well, we can write whatever we want on the blank slate." And so the psychological sciences and other social sciences were geared toward writing, rewriting people so they wouldn't be conservative rednecks from America. You know, going to rewrite everything. And then they begin to realize that that put the blame for what somebody did on themselves. On themselves. The problem with that is it makes you responsible. Well, and nobody right. really likes that, not even the scientists. And then when DNA was kind of unlocked here in the 80s, 70s and 80s, it began to be unlocked before that, but really unlocked for practical uses in the 80s, then we began to shift to that. And so now progressives tend to like that idea because then they can say that we're all locked into what we are. And they they build this government control around that being locked into the DNA. And so we have this whole debate going on. The truth, in my opinion, from the Bible is that it's both. God made the world with a certain structure. It has human beings have parameters to their nature, to their power, to their abilities, to their desires. And the world has parameters and built-in laws that God established. Now, within that framework, though, there is free choice. And so within the framework of my genetic background and even my background is just being a human being as opposed to something else, I'm not infinitely malleable. I have limits as a human being on what I can be. Within that, I have choice. And the Bible calls me to exercise that choice properly within the bounds of my human nature. And the other factor that's there is that God is also in that system. He isn't just an outsider or a non-interested person. He's in that system. He has a say in what happens. And so uh, sometimes things just turn out differently than what what we think they are because God's also working. And that's why that's why prayer works. God doesn't have to perform miracles for prayer to work. He's in the system. He can work it the way he yeah, wants it one to of be. The, one of the impressive things that, about what the Bible says to me about that is, Mike, is God can change his mind depending on what yeah. happens. He's in the system, and he can change. Just he, like can, we he, can. Can, he can say, okay, I may have set out to do this, but since you responded to what I say, I may change my mind about that and do something else. But almost always he operates within the original system he created of human beings right. and, the, and gravity and the way the world's work and the other forces of nature that he created. There's not, there's not an opposition between God and nature. God created nature, as it were, and he is in control of it. He's part of it. He's not, it's not separate from him. And yet he, he, makes, he makes things operate most all the time within that framework. Even he operates within that framework to answer our prayers and with providence, how things work like that. Um, maybe off the subject, but I'll give you a strange example of things I've come to learn and that maybe how this works. Well, the one thing that he gave us the capability that I think is important is to learn. We can uh, learn yeah. from things around us. We can begin to judge what's what will happen or what will not happen. We we are able to see those things in some cases, or in many cases, if we want to. That's part of the problem. Right. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean. No, that's okay. Strange. This may sound strange, but maybe it's related to the topic. Maybe it's not. But it happened to me. So, uh, 
I got a call to judge a, a fair in the West Palm Beach, South Florida fair, to judge the poultry down there this year. Really, I used to do it every other year, so it really isn't my year. Well, they called me. I don't know what happened, but they said, would you come back and judge it this year? I said, well, sure. And they, oh, and by the way, we found your check from last year. You never got your check. I said, well, yeah, they didn't have it the day I was there. And he said, yeah, we forgot to mail it to you, and we just found it in our paperwork. I said, oh, that's great. So I'm thinking, ooh, free money. I'm rubbing my hands together. Free money. I didn't know how much it was. And so it came a day or so later, and I thought, well, I got, I'm going to have a little extra money, you know, and Christmas time, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, it came $350. That's, that's good. That's a lot of money to me. So wouldn't you know it? But I knew right away, Gary, what I'm trying to tell you is what I knew as soon as I realized I got free money that something was going to take that money before I ever got really got my hands on it. That 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 and, and sure enough, before the check ever got there, or maybe the same day, my septic tank backed up and I'm gonna to have to have it pumped out. That's about four hundred dollars. And something if else you, if you can get out for that. Yes, it's it's more than that. But that's a big chunk of it. And something else happened, I gotta have a home inspection for my insurance. That's two hundred and fifty dollars at least. So two things intervened. Now, rather than, see, but having learned this in life, rather than being upset about the fact that I don't get free money, as it were, to do whatever I want to, to spend on lottery tickets, or if I did that kind of thing, or whatever people do with it, have a party, that I have to pay bills or for drudgery things like home inspections and septic tanks, I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. That was, I, and I know, and here's what, how I, as a Christian, here's how I view that. I view that as God knew ahead of time what I was going to need because I pray to him, and he knows better than I do what I need. And he provided for all that to happen that way. I believe, I believe he, he provided for it all to happen. Is it a miracle? No. But God works that way. He's in perfect control of the system. And so whatever took place to forget to get the check last year or them to mail it to me, all that worked out as it should, I believe. Now, that that I can't I can't say that from the Bible that what happened with my check or my septic tank was all God's working, but I believe that I have plenty of evidence in the Bible of that exactly what happens. You know, so when when I when something happens that costs me something or I don't get some I, I or somebody doesn't pay me back what they owe me, I don't worry about that anymore because so many times I've seen that that will come back and more so at a time when I need it more. Why? Because the world's a combination of natural laws and fates and people having bad memories and forgetting to mail checks and a common and septic tanks backing up. But it's also a combination of my choices and God's choices in that matter. Now, I probably didn't express that very well, but that that's how I think you if you begin to see things like that, that even the bad things that happen to you a little differently, it helps you to. Just say, to, to be pay. This is patience. This is what I'm talking about, the patience of Job. This is the patience to see just how is it going to work out. And we don't know how it's going to work out altogether. Well, and In what way specifically? There's a way to look at it in a good light and a way to look at it in a bad light. Uh, it depends on your attitude. It depends on where you present yourself to God and your relationship with him in many ways dependent on you. Um, I get frustrated from time to time because I'm trying to, in a hurry to get somewhere and I get... Every time I'm in a hurry, Mike, to get somewhere, I hit every stoplight red. That's how it seems to work, isn't it? And that's the way it works. And and yet I have to stop and think, okay, by stopping at this stoplight, I may have been saved from something a lot exactly. worse down the road. Oh, I had a bad day. I had a flat tire. How do you yeah. know you, that didn't save your life and maybe the lives of your children had that flat tire? Right. Or somebody else's, um, you know. Uh, I try to remember. <laughs> it's hard they, to do that in a lot of cases. What they but, say when you're back up on the highway and you sit there for an hour and you finally get through, people say, well, I, at least when I get there, I want to see blood, you know. Or, or it's and, getting dark and you're tired and you've still got to, and you've still got a family to take care of. Right. Uh, yes, and it's hard to do sometimes, but that's part, of, I think, of the way life leads us. Now, there is, <clears> see, there is so much in those things that the believer can see that the unbeliever simply cannot see. Uh, being delayed and ha having uh, not time to maybe prepare a meal or to rush somewhere, we get we call that stress, we get all upset. What, what really, well, the really important thing there that's going on that we miss is how are you reacting to that in front of your children and other people? 
are you reacting with grace and with with fortitude, with courage, or you're reacting with kindness, or you're acting with bitterness and cursing? Uh, this is the important thing that's going on that's missed because we're we don't get what we want. You see, are you able to accept discouragements and defeats and setbacks with some kind of grace and equanimity and peace of mind, or are you, or do you only or are you do you accept good things with humility? Or do you accept them? Do they increase your pride when good things happen to you? Do you even do you even thank God for the good things that happen to you, or do you only curse Him for the bad? And, yes. And and that is there's some of that built into the Iliad and the Odyssey too, as well as for sure in the Bible. So the relationship, Jerry, between the two, is that I would say the Iliad, the Odyssey, and large sections of the Bible, the big picture, are talking about the same human problem. You see, human philosophers and Greek philosophers and, and, and even the human worldly philosophers and the Bible prophets and the Bible writers were not d- addressing different problems. There isn't a set of prob- worldly problems of the world and then religious problems. They're the same problems. There's just two different answers to the problems. Well, no, two basically what I'm saying is one doesn't give you a path to the solution. The Bible does. Yes, the Bible I'm not gives you. The exactly. Bible gives you a path to the solution. So, to which path do you? Which solutions do you want? Which perspective do you want? The one that God has written for you, or the one the human philosophers have written? But I'm talking about the problems themselves are the same. Okay, the big problems that human philosophers and even atheists are addressing: the problem of good and evil, and all those things are the same things that are addressed in the Bible, but the answers are different, and, they and the perspective is different, but it's the same problems. And they, the, those problems haven't changed with time. Gary, liberals they, and conservatives in our country, Democrats and Republicans, what are you going to say? Uh, the question is not one of them is addressing problems and one isn't. They both see the same problems. There's just, they're, just pro, they're just proposing different solutions to the problems. And the question for you is, which ones reflect reality, which both which which assessments reflect reflect reality, which solutions reflect reality and which ones don't, which ones actually work and which ones don't. And And which ones which one can see the problem. Everybody knows that there's poverty and crime and so forth. And everybody knows everybody wants more money. But what's the solution? That's the only thing we that's the well. I don't want to say the only thing. It's the main thing we're discussing is what's the nature of the solution. Now, progressives see the problem a little differently, but they're looking at the same problem. And conservatives see it differently than progressives, but they're looking at the same problems. But but then, Mike, we go back to my, my explanation. God gave us the ability to learn from observation and the way things work. And so what basically we're expected to do in many of these cases is Look at the results. In the end, you have to look at the results. Yeah, at the, in the end, you have to look at the results. What also, now, Jerry didn't ask about this, and maybe it's also built into the Iliad and the Odyssey, that struggle against fate and human nature and all those things like sirens and cyclops and all the other things that get in the way, um, is that, that people, t- humans tend to have a utopian mindset. A lot of them do. Well, where does that come from? Well, is that addressed in the Bible? Uh, of course, you know what you, you know what the word utopia means, Gary. Literally, it means nowhere. Nowhere. It literally means nowhere. John Milton, who wrote the book, intended for it to mean nowhere. That there is no there is no utopia on Earth. But it's we we've taken it as a it's a political philosophy of one of our major major political parties and and Marxists around the world that we can somehow create a utopia on Earth. It also is the philosophy of of uh, regimes like the Third Reich, that somehow yeah. if we do certain things, we can create a utopia, as well as Stalin and and, and all of the communists and Marxists today. It, that's what's there. It is a hallmark of certain kind of politics that we can create a utopia if we just put the right people in charge, pass the right laws, uh, uh, put the right people in charge, we can create a utopia on the earth. And uh, this is the whole problem uh, that that the Odyssey and the Iliad address this, that they're because of the complex nature of all these things and because 
of the inherent nature of man as he's been created, utopia is not possible. Now then, the Calvinists and Catholics say that the reason is because man is totally depraved or hereditarily depraved. And that's why you can't have a utopia. Now, secular people, communists and so forth, leftists, don't believe in that. They just believe man's depraved. And the only ones who are enlightened are the party. The party is enlightened. All the rest of you people are not. The elite. And that, the elite. And that's why they have to use force, like law and guns, to get you in line, mandates, to get you in line because of your human nature. They, if they can line you up all correctly by force, they can then get a utopia going. They now, used to more believe that you can Now, get, it's just a fortunate benefit that it really benefits them more than well, anything else. Well, yes. Of course, that's human nature too, Gary. See, it's all we're all working the same. Why do we think that since humans are so bad and do all these bad things, if we just had other humans controlling them, that would all be better? It's an it's a nonsensical idea, but it's the basis of a, a lot of politics, especially I think in my in this day and time, progressive politics, that we can just get the right people in charge, and they can tell everybody else what to do, and everything will be fine. What may, are they some kind of special class of people? Are they a special cut of people above the rest? Are they the prime cut and we're just the hamburger? You know? Well, they think that. That's the problem. But in the end, even books like The Odyssey, you see the same vices control the kings as they do the people. And in Greek mythology, the same vices control the gods that control humans. That's why they have things like fates beyond the gods, because the gods are under control too, and uh, and goes back to the Bible, Gary. Men have been seeking the one true God behind the gods for a long time. Even the Hindus have him, Brahman, other Greek religions. Well, who's this unknown God that Paul meets among the Greeks, uh, addresses among the Greeks in Acts 17 at Athens? They have a altar to the unknown God. That's the unknown God, the unknowable God. That's the God behind the gods. That's who they built an altar to, because he's the one who's in control of the fates and the humans, you see, and nature and will. That's who Christian, Paul says, let me tell you about this God. You don't know it. You've been looking for it. Let me tell you about him. And he tells them about the true God. That's who we worship as Christians, not the gods that are control that are the same as humans only they're they're um humans on steroids as it were superhumans <laughs> that's the first time i've heard it put that way well now gary we have we have this in our society uh, i'm i know i'm you just just digest this not you but in general digest this we have a class of people in our society that are looked up to adored and revered by huge numbers of people very directly and others indirectly. And that's the Hollywood elite, actors, actresses, singers, and musicians, and artists. And then behind them are the more brazen, brass knuckle people, the politicians and the lawyers. Okay, These people are all looked up to as the elite of our society. And in particular, if you can dance and if you can sing, and play an instrument. You are viewed as a god. If you can if you can shoot a basketball or throw a football, you become godlike to many, many, many huge swath of the people. And how do I know this? Because we put up pictures of them on our walls and and look at them and, and honor them. You see, we build statues to them. These are our gods. And Christians need to be aware that that's the pull of the world is that to put up human beings as godlike creatures. And so and that's also why the human beings in Greek in Greece loved it when they could read the stories of how the gods failed. When the gods did something stupid, they love that. Don't we love stories of when our gods fail, when some uh, movie star is caught in some kind of scandal or whatever the case? People love that. They eat it up because the gods have fallen. And we're not doing anything different than they did in Greek society. Christians should be beyond all that and above all that kind of stuff. Uh, um, But that's the story of the Iliad and the Odyssey, is the interaction of the gods and the fates with um, human beings. And who's who's in control of this mess? 
you know, there was a time when we uh, appreciated people, I think, other than than those a lot more, and it may not go back that far. If you stop and think, what kind of society do you live in today, Mike? You have medical accomplishments that were unheard of 150 years ago. You live with a standard of comfort and things that help you live every day with things that were, again, unheard of 150 years ago. And yet, who is appreciated in our society? Who gave us those things? Yeah. If you go back and look, it wasn't those singers. It wasn't those No, I'm talking about dancers. modern times yeah. now, probably since the 1940s. I was telling my wife the other day, if you think about this, in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, Hollywood could only enter our, enter our homes in a very limited – we had to leave our home and go to the movie theater to be influenced by Hollywood. We well, actually, go out and buy actually, a record – it started in. in it started in the early 20th century in the 19th. Right, that's what I'm saying, and it, it became uh, endemic in American culture, 30s, 40s, the golden age of Hollywood, and then you have that, and that's all the corollaries along with that, and then and you had the music industry as we know it today being built, and people began to flock to this in droves, and then then Hollywood, <coughs> pardon me, got a greater access when television came on the scene. Oh yes, they could come straight into our homes with all the, with their messages. Of decadence and immorality. They could first come straight radio, into our home. First with radio, radio, then, and then and with TV, TV, right into the home directly. And then we could bring it all home with us with VCRs and DVDs and all this stuff. We could watch. We could watch not what they showed us on Saturday morning at the theater or what came on at a specific time. My brothers and I could not wait to get home from church on Sunday night because. Disney was going off and Bonanza was coming on. You know, we we locked our schedules around these gods. You know, these these schedules. But now, my grandchildren are plugged into Hollywood and these these godless people, twenty four seven in their ear, directly in their ears, anytime they want to engage in it. And they have they often have interest in anything in anything else than nothing else than that. I'm saying it wrong. They don't have any interest in anything but that. And so these godless people have come straight into our brains in modern times. I don't think this can last, and I think the effects – but you can even discuss – well, you can say, well, our heroes heroes in the the 50s were better. You know, we had Roy Rogers, and we had – And to some degree, they were. Mickey Mantle. Well, they were. Except the whole notion of worshiping, worshiping them led us right down this path. But in the end, they're all still people without God. And they, they propose living in a world without God because they become the God. So we, you can talk about the heroes being better, but I think there's a, even a more fundamental thing than that. Were some of the gods better gods to worship among the pagans? Probably. Probably better to worship you know, the God of uh, God of love than maybe the God of war, maybe. Depending on how you did it. Yeah, maybe. Well, today, you know, um, everything is corrupted by this. Now, we're far afield, but I, I, th- I think that idolatry, the, the fundamental understanding of idolatry is still with us, and the gods are still here. Uh, we just don't see that. Now, what happened to some of these heroes, like Achilles? Apparently, Achilles perhaps was a real man who slowly became idolized. There's the word, idolized. We use this word all the time. Oh, I idolize so and so. Well, what do you mean by that? You know, there's a real word there that has a. Well, isn't there a show on television, American Idol or something? Yeah, like and it's about music. That's what I'm talking yeah. about music and singing and dancing. But I, idolizing something, we use it commonly. But it has a meaning to take someone who is human and turn them into an idol, to make, some, to make something that is normal into an idol. And so Achilles became, maybe was a real-life hero, perhaps, and became a god or a demigod, nearly like a god. So the Caesars became gods in that because they accomplished great things, they began to be worshipped as god. And, and we do the same thing with our heroes. And you don't have to – I see it more commonly today among left-wing people. But I want to make clear that it isn't exclusive to them, and it's just, as, it's, da- it's just as dangerous for the heroes of those who consider themselves conservatives to be lifted up as an idol. And we love to see the gods of the opposition being bested. You know, we, we love it when Rush Limbaugh uh, 
what was caught up in uh, prescription drug addiction. If you don't like Limbaugh, you love it when an idol falls, you see. And then you love it when uh, uh, the, the Bill Clinton gets exposed for what he is. He was your Camelot. He was your idol, idealized pers- man and woman, uh, a hero. To, you know, and, and so the, the press can criticize, as you were mentioned earlier, Dwight Eisenhower for playing golf. Yes. And ignore the huge number of affairs that Jack Kennedy had. The next president was Jack Kennedy. They completely ignored all of his much more serious habit of adult, serial adultery. They ignored that completely. So the American people were left with this idol. He still lionized as the great idol, the boy king, you know, John Kennedy. Uh, he, he was nothing of the sort, but he's been idolized. Okay. And we love to see it when the idols of the people that we don't like are broken down and we fail to see our own idols. Now, I, I'm, you're on a rant I'm now. waxing elephants on <laughs> yeah, you're on but, a rant But this now. is not something new. My point is this is not something new. If you read books like The Iliad and the Odyssey, and, and you especially, Gary, when you read the Bible, you can get your feet on the ground with the Bible about these, these things. Well, the Bible is very clear. David is a great man. David the king was one of the greatest men that ever lived in God's eyes. He was a he was a champion. He, he was, was a, he was a, a man after God's own he had, heart. He was a stalwart, both physically in his character, in his courage, and in, for the most part, he ruled Israel the way God intended. He was him. God loved David, and he holds him up. But yet, what does the Bible present about this idol? It presents him very clearly as a man who is broken. Uh, he has an affair with Bathsheba, then has his rival killed. But I am, and, I am, and on and on we see weakness through his life. So the Bible presents humans as they are, not as idolized people. Yeah, but the, but David was different in one respect from a lot of these people, because what happened when David was confronted with his sin? What did David say? He repented. He, I'm, so I'm I, he said, "I have sinned." Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing David at all. Far be it from someone like me to ever criticize a man like David. I'm pointing out, though, that the Bible presents human beings in a realistic way that helps us. But keep your feet on the ground with that. But it also presents David in the way that God would have us to be. Yes. Because when David was presented with this sin, and David said this twice in his life. He didn't say that just once. In all honesty, when he had gone against what God wanted, he said, I have sinned, and he turned well, immediately. Even when, even when he failed with moving the ark, and Uzziah was killed when they were moving the ark, and David was angry with God, or angry, and he, but what did he do? He went back to the book, back to the law, and found out what the Bible said, what, his, what the, Moses' law said about moving that ark. He read it. And then he commanded that it be done according to the way the text of the Bible said. That's what was great about David. But I'm just saying the Bible presents him as not as an idol, uh, but as a man. And we see this with Moses. We see this with Paul. We see this with Peter. We see this Elijah. You can just name Abraham. You just name them all. The Bible presents them as they are and doesn't let you, if you're looking at it, Honestly, it doesn't let you lift them up. That's why, for example, I object to most Bibles I see. I pick up. I pick up these Bibles. I know I say that oddly, Gary. I, I could be pretty good at writing these click clickbait headlines. <laughs> but I object to most Bibles I pick up because when I pick them up and I look in the front of them, it says St. Matthew, St. Luke, St. John. Yes. Okay. The Bible does not call them that. We're all, all Christians are saints. They don't get to carry a special title that elevates them above other men. Uh, they just had a pope that died yesterday. And ele- now when he was alive, they didn't like, a lot of people didn't like this guy because he was much more conservative, much more steady than the, they called him the Panzer Pope um, because he was from Germany. And uh, he was the one that re- re- resigned. He resigned. First for, one in 800 years, for, or 600 to years resign. to resign. Uh, but now that he's dead, of course, oh, yes, he's the greatest. Um, but but they will um, – he's going to be a saint pretty soon, going to be Saint Benedict or Saint Pope Benedict or whatever, you know, uh, idolized. And, we're, and the Catholic catechism 
that they teach from the time that Catholics are young, but even the young catechisms for grade school kids, have a section on honoring the saints, relics, and images. In place of the command, when they do over the Ten Commandments, in place of the command to uh, not make any graven image at all, nor bow down or worship, or don't, make, don't even make a graven image, in place of that command, Gary, which they do not talk about, they have a section on honoring the saints, relics, and image. And you can look it up, or I can show, send you the information if you want. So they, they have no problem turning this man into a demigod, into something that's bigger than human. Where, where in the Bible do you find that idea of taking something? They've taken Mary and made her the mother of God an intercessor sitting at the right hand of God. Where does the Bible do that? It doesn't do that. About as far this as it re- goes, I think this is, is shockingly reprehensible to me. Yeah. As far as the Bible goes, I think it goes when he, when Peter says he is a fellow elder, that is all that's said. Yeah. Right. By the way, if any of you members of the church here are listening, I don't think anybody from our church does listen. They hear enough <laughs> of me, but if you are, you're, Gary's trying to warn you. I've been on a rant most of the morning. So we'll see what happens later in the later in the next hour at eleven o'clock, but or ten o'clock and eleven. We meet at ten o'clock and eleven, and I teach both times. So here we go. Anyway, this this is a. But I I like the question, although I can't recommend I can't recommend the Iliad and the Odyssey beyond the fact that it's a human a book written by a brilliant man who lived three hundred and fifty B.C. or so. So you know that's a long time ago. And for all you modern intellectuals who think that humans were stupid back then. Try to come up with something like the Odyssey on your own that's a poem, as well as expressing these great themes of that of enduring enduring in human literature. Now, it's, it, the poetry or the rhythm is not necessarily obvious in English. Is it iambic pentameter? Yes, in, but it is in Greek, or it, and it is in Latin, too, in some way. So if, so if you want the rhythm, you've got to read in a different language. Yes. Uh, that's the same. Well, like I said, if you well, want the, you want the real the story, you got to watch That's the same thing with a lot of the Bible is written in Hebrew uh-huh. poetry, and... We don't get the rhythm, but the meaning is still there. I right. still recommend that you spend your time with the Bible. In John 12, verse 48, Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Folks, that's what's important that's the to key. us. That's very much the key. Um, let me, uh, we've got a couple minutes left, maybe a minute and a half. I would like to mention a couple of things, if I don't, if you don't mind, Gary, before we close, uh, that I, uh, would be important. I've uh, I pass out every year in January a Bible reading program for the year for the members here. We don't require that. We recommend that people follow that. It's one where you read the Bible five days a week and take a couple of days off in the weekends or whatever days you want. Get you through the whole Bible in a year. If you'd like one of those, I'd be glad to send you either digital or printed copy of that. Just get a hold of me. Just get a hold of me at the text number 2672-260-6120. Or email me at justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. If you do that, I'll continue one in English, I continue one in Spanish, and I continue one in Greek. I'm Greek. Excuse me. I can send you one in Spanish. I can send you one in English. I can send you one in French if you're if you have a Haitian background. That's what I was thinking. You were. You said Greek, and we've been talking about. I can probably find one in Greek. But but in any event, if you'd like that daily Bible reading program, uh, you could, or you can just go an app like Olive Tree Bible Study on the on the internet or on your phone. And my wife follows hers from a phone app app that shows her what to read each day. I highly recommend you read the Bible every day. Well, I think that every day that leads year. you through a little bit by subject as you go through. It can. Some of these do, yes. Uh, you can get all different kinds of Bible reading programs. You can well, start in Genesis, go to Revelation. You can do it mixed, however you want to do it. Well, I've read the Bible straight from the cover to cover through about twice. But, Mike, I have to admit, that's been the, the least benefit to me when you try to go through it that way. You do it, you're doing it differently. Okay. Yeah, topical studies have done me much more good okay. than that. Yeah. That's, as long as you trust who puts the topics together. Well, but I, I got you. I understand. I that. search a lot. I, I use the electronics a lot. I search a lot my own way through the concordances for the topics. Very good. And that's that's what's been for me the best. Well, thank you for listening today. We really appreciate it. 
take a look at our website. We are just Christians.com. Come and visit us, which is at 20. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, 2196 Southwest Savona at 10 o'clock this morning and 11 o'clock. We'd be glad to have you and your family. Thanks so much for listening and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL, Port St. Lucie.